Hello, dear listener. Thank you for downloading and listening to, or even streaming, Spooky Doings Podcast. My name is Rick Guzman. I'm an improviser from New York who's still unable to improvise in front of an audience as we are still about nose deep uh, in the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, this is just our way of life from now on, but thank you for being here. I am joined once again by the lady of the boards, the boops, buttons, the beeps, the blops. She rules with an iron fist. Her name is Chelsea Bennington. How are you, Chelsea? I'm good. I I was thinking about, you know, what you just said about this is the way of life now. And it's funny because when uh, COVID first really um, shook up like the the workforce um you know people that were working in an office i i remember getting so annoyed when people would say about working from home well this is the new normal this is the new normal and i'm like stop speaking that into existence i don't want this to be the new normal but i stand corrected it has become the new normal i mean now it's just normal you know (laughs) Anyway, that's that's my useless sentence for today. But I, I am doing well. It's not useless. It's it's welcome. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't really have a show. But the reason why we have this episode uh, is uh, regular spooky doings and final girl performer Shari Hazlett is joining us today. Hello, Shari. Hi. Hi. How are you holding up? Oh my God. Uh, in the time of Rona. Oh my God, and the time of Rona in this last week with the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, no, the time, at the time <laughs> we're recording this, it hasn't yeah. been decided, oh. and I am a fucking emotional roller coaster. And mm-hmm. I'm not watching the news regularly, so I can only imagine the amount of doom scrolling and news watching. I, I just I can't do it. Do you know what I did? Do you know, do you know my, my trick? Well, because we already have enough, like, pandemic, like, stress and nonsense, the, the new normal, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call that. Um, and then, so I was like, well, we're all, everyone's going to be stressed anyways during the election. We're already dealing with all this. You know what? I choose not to. I'm opting out of that until, like, election day and that week because it's going to be nuts. And I'm like, until then, <laughs> I'm also a very good compartmentalizer. But until then, I'm just going to just distract myself and stay focused on other stuff. So um, I think I'm doing okay. That sounds healthy. <laughs> that sounds it's really hard. Good. I couldn't talk to any people. <laughs> Being focused. Um, I hope everybody is at least physically healthy uh, in your life that you care about and yeah. they're all doing all right and you as well. I think so. Yeah. I think that's been the biggest lesson of this year i think if we you know whatever if we have to pick one or some shit um oh am i allowed to say that good good i don't I know. absolutely <laughs> am very much against words like uh shit dick balls um asshole we, we don't want to use any words okay. like that at all okay all okay. of these are pro are fucking prohibited so don't let me fucking catch you cussing <laughs> on my goddamn podcast Okay. I, you know, I just, just check in. Um, gosh, I don't even remember what I was talking about. Oh, my lesson, my lesson for this, 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 this pandemic. Um, I think, yeah, yeah. It's just been about, um, 
yeah, just kind of staying focused on the on the on the right stuff and just trying trying to stay healthy like different ways that you didn't realize maybe especially in New York because it's so fast here and there's always so much going on like the many different ways that you can try to you know stay healthy and not get too caught up in stress so it's been like a good good exercise but with this election I just knew also too I think you know so many people were worried about it I used to work in politics so I just had a good feel. It, it's hard, and it's hard to even admit that I had a good feeling about mm-hmm. something the past few months because everything just felt so icky. But mm-hmm. I just, having worked on campaigns and managed campaigns before, I just got like, and um, we did a lot of calling and can't phone canvassing and stuff like that to voters. And I just, I, I felt it and I saw it just how they were running the campaign. Um, I was just like, okay, I feel like this is this is gonna this is gonna happen. So just the waiting is excruciating. I can't. Like, deal with this you know how the sausage is made the waiting (laughs) isn't so much what bothers me Mm because uh i mentioned it to chelsea and some other people on a zoom call yesterday uh tuesday i zoned out and like abandoned social media and news and did my usual thing of like watching movies and trying not to pay attention and telling the people i'm in communication with don't tell me so i treated it like schrodinger's election that in the own bubble that I put myself in for my mental health. Uh, uh, a bunker bitch uh, won, but also lost. And uh, I was very, I had a lot of trepidation Wednesday morning to yeah. approach reality and find out uh, where we were. And we were still in a lo- much larger void of uncertainty. But that's yeah. not why we're here. <laughs> we are here because Shari reached out yeah and 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 sharing my affinity for the musician that you see in the title of this episode um and said you want to do an episode about nick cave and i said like i do to everybody that i'm creative with that brings me an idea yeah um okay now let's just figure out what we're going to do (laughs) so so what what made you want to bring this up and talk about it on a microphone I loved, well, I love talking about music, especially with other people who are into music. Um, so there was that. And, uh, and I love, well, the other thing too, is I love how you, um, you share a lot of this. What? Oh, your audio clipped out for a bit. Ooh, sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah. So sharing, um, and talking with music, uh, talking about music with people who also like music in general, not just I like country music. I like, you know, people that are, you know, just in general, like all kinds of music. And I love that you share all the stuff that you're listening to, all of your records and movies. And I cannot believe you're in what, almost 600 of like your quarantine. I, I have surpassed 600 movies just recently. Yeah. Um, posting records, a friend of mine would do that as well. And I'm not one of those people, like I don't have kids, so I don't post pictures of them. I don't understand people that post pictures of their meals. Because, you know, like, I'm not eating that, so what do I care? But whatever, like, art you're ingesting, I'm curious about, you know, totally. what people are into and if it's something I should bother checking yes. out a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it's just more interesting to me, especially if the vinyl's pretty. Right. Third man makes some pretty, pretty vinyl. <laughs> and I'm a sucker for a picture disc on top of that. Oh, nice. Yeah, I like, well, I like, I, I love um, 
album cover, like art. I like, I like design a lot too. So that's important to me. So I love, yeah, I love the visuals of that. And that's one thing that we definitely miss now, you know, with having things so available to stream, mm -hmm. like you can see, you know, what the, what the original art was, but I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's anyway, I thought we would, the reason I yeah mentioned the, I need to talk to you about Nick Cave and all of his, creative output is because uh, yeah it seemed like it'd be an interesting conversation because you are into different kinds of things and because his I mean he's a musician but he's like an artist right yeah yeah um but, uh, he spent a lot of his life doing all kinds of weird <laughs> shit from uh albums with different uh, iterations of the bad seeds to grinder man to movie scores to a couple of novels to acting to making weird collages on his walls when he was in the throes of addiction so he's lived a life of many continents and he's such a like god yeah like his whole like persona is i i don't i god i don't have like so many words for it but it's funny too, yeah, because he's such a brat, like with journalists. So it's really hard every time. You know, like, and I've read interviews because I also love reading interviews and like profiles and stuff like that, especially with musicians. Um, just it's such a different way to kind of get to know what they're thinking about, what they create. And um, I saw one recently. I think it was from the Guardian, but from it's the Guardian, but, but from like the late '80s or late '90s, I guess somewhere in that like ten-year time period. Um, and he was like, he was such a brat about his addiction and like so suspicious of the, of the press who was trying to like write about him and his art and share that with other people. He was such a jerk to them. Um, so yeah. And then the stuff he creates is so like beautiful. Did he just not want to talk about his addiction? Like, or was he just one of those being kind of one of those pompous male artists that can sometimes i think he was ashamed of it because he had some i think he was ashamed of it too because there were a couple things that um this is all i just want to say too that you know knowing we were going to be talking today it was an excellent like distraction for me in this past election week i'm like i'm gonna like uh, this is a project <laughs> like, love that i am gonna just yeah dive headfirst into like nick cave this week and um and it's so interesting too just because from when i was younger like my impression of him versus now but i think he was actually ashamed of his addiction like he was aware of it but i think he was also conscious of not wanting other people to not wanting to glamorize it mm. um and it's also seemed to like he did in many cases not necessarily perceive it as like the hallmark of a you know, artist and creative as much as it was a weakness and a thing that he really just had a really hard time shaking. Um, and because he was an addict, you know, especially with like how he acted with reporters and the media in general, I think was just him being an addict <laughs> and being a brat. Yeah, exactly. So, so when did each of you first hear of Nick? Oh, this is great. Okay. <laughs> so, I grew up, I'm not originally from Florida, but I grew up there and I grew up in Tampa, Florida from, I guess there, the time I was like 12, I lived in St. Petersburg for a while. And so I was basically in Florida until I moved here to New York. Okay. And um, just, just to, to, to ask, because now I'm curious, where were you from before Florida? 
Oh, okay. So um, I moved to Florida from Montana and before that, Great Falls, Montana. And before that, uh, so my dad was in the Air Force. And uh, so I was born in Indiana. We moved to Ohio. And then we went to Great Falls, Montana, where there was Momstrom Air Force Base. And then my mom and sister and I moved to Florida when my dad was stationed in Seoul, Korea. And it, there just wasn't a lot of space over there for families. So, um, so we, we thought, you know, it was going to just be a couple of years or something like that. So we moved to Dade city, Florida, which is rural Florida, central Florida. Um, and, uh, so my grandmother lived there. And so we ended up staying because my parents separated. And so we ended up staying in Florida and, uh, yeah, yeah. So, and you're no longer freezing your ass off in Man Montana. I get it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So Florida's a funny place, but in Tampa, Florida, um goth capital like i don't even know if that's like much of a thing anymore but when i was younger and like like in the 90s and you know early 2000s and stuff like that there was definitely like between tampa and orlando there was a huge um like goth sort of industrial scene um like i'm sure it was like parody and snl or something like that i feel like there was a sketch or something <laughs> yeah um but that was like a real thing and um yeah so um yeah there's even this club called the castle in ybor city have you all heard of ybor yes okay so i'm sure you can imagine castle. i love yeah. that right yeah like it, it mean but it's real yeah you can imagine no what... i imagine it looks like so when i lived in savannah you know it they would um really hold on to that most haunted city in the u.s uh mm -hmm. shtick and there was a bar, I don't think it's there anymore, unfortunately, but there was this bar um, called The Crypt. <laughs> it, they really like took it up to a nine where um, they just acted like it was Dracula's castle inside and it was just like on Broad Street, like it was just a bar, but when you walked inside it, and it was just, I don't know, when you said uh, the castle, I was like, oh, I bet it looked like the crypt, and I miss the crypt. <laughs> you know, it did. It was this freestanding building on, like, the outer edges of Ybor City in Tampa, Florida. Mm -hmm. And Ybor's where they did Gasparilla and all the... Right. I would always surprise when people know what it is. But anyway, um, it was shaped like a castle. Oh, wow. That's yeah <laughs> it's nuts and but it was the only place in tampa also that played good music and so you know like when you're young you know in your you know early 20s that kind of and also tampa there's not like a ton of stuff to do but it was a place to go and just like you know hear music so there's a lot of like um you know old wave industrial you know all just different kinds of stuff that wasn't just like pop and dance and club music um and they had a really great bar downstairs and um anyway um yeah and on the weekends though that's when people in capes would come out and it was it was definitely an interesting thing but anyway um nick cave how did i hear about nick cave yes. so <laughs> i'm getting to it sorry um <laughs> so uh yeah so my a friend of mine um my friend nikki and uh, she and i were roommates i think when i was like 22 or 23 or something like that and um she uh i remember she had um she was a lot more into like the darker stuff i think than i was you know i mean i like Bauhaus, and i'm like you know very specific about um bands of that that style but um anyway so she had murder ballads in one of her cds and i was like what is this 
<laughs> and um, yeah, just yeah, I just fell in love with it. And I think that was that was a while ago. Um, but I think since I thought I just it was really creative. I loved his voice. Um, I love and I love concept albums too. There's always that. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, yeah. So I think uh, I liked with that album. It was it was just. Uh, I like the, yeah, it was a concept. It was narrative. I just, I loved that, that idea of kind of like telling real stories, you know, through music. I mean, there's, you know, songs, mm-hmm. obviously, but just um, the storytelling and music, which I really like. Um, and his music, you know, it's not always specifically like that, but I think maybe that shows up more later when uh, like some of the film soundtrack stuff. But um, anyway, so that was my first, first exposure to Nick Cave. And I guess I, yeah, I've always been a fan and, um, Anyway, that was a very long answer to your question. I'm sorry. No, it's good. I apologize. What about you, Chelsea? When did you first hear of Nick Cave? So mine may not be a complete surprise. I mean, the first time I heard heard of him and really began to recognize who he was and his music versus when I, or it's different to how I soon became a fan. But when I first heard of him, um, was just because of Red Right Hand being everywhere, and especially when Scream used it, and then started using it in uh, its sequels. And I remember watching, you know, watching Scream and and the uh, sequels in middle school, and thinking this is such a cool song. But um, I didn't fully explore. <laughs> uh anything past that i just remember thinking this is a really cool song i think it was on my ipod mini at one point and there you go <laughs> um so, yeah right <laughs> but when i when i started becoming a fan um or what made me really dive into his albums was his uh was his score to um well his score with ellis uh, for the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert L. Ford. Um, I said it's a mouthful. Title, and that's the only time I will say that whole title. But uh, I loved that score. I was obsessed with it, and I listened to it all the time. And that's really when um, when I thought, "Wow!" So this is the same guy who did Red Right Hand and interesting (laughs) like what what what's that about so that's when I you know dove a little bit more into his music I definitely didn't do as big of a deep dive as I've done you know like when I discovered um Tom Waits like Tom Waits I devoured every single thing Tom Waits has ever created but I didn't have that strong pull with Nick Cave but um and this is not an unpopular opinion by any means, but I did really love murder ballads. You know, I, I, I don't know why you wouldn't. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's such a, such a wonderful, um, just a beautiful album. And yeah, so that's how I discovered him. I consider myself a fan and there's definitely more um, discovering and uh, listening that I can do. And that was, Another reason I was super excited about uh, Shari coming on to talk about him because, you know, it only inspires me to, you know, 
listen to his music. I mean, I've read stuff about his personal life as well. Um, you know, like the unfortunate thing that happened with his son and um, the tragedy there and his drug addiction, his thoughts on uh, his belief in God and his disdain towards religion. And I remember he said something about like, I believe in God in, in spite of religion, not because of it. Mm -hmm. I really think his views and beliefs in, in spirituality are so interesting. Um, and I'm just like, I, there's obviously so much to you and your music probably explains a lot. <laughs> and that's why I need to listen to a lot of it. So uh -huh. that's my long answer. <laughs> I get, it's so funny though, cause I get the sense like in interviews with him that like he just wants to create, he's an artist and he wants to make things. And it's almost like he kind of resents the business side of it a little. He's like, oh God, like he already shares so much. It's like, and you get my personal life too. And you get me like, like how much of me do you want? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, it feels like, it's like he's consumed or something. Um, yeah, he's, um, yeah, he's, he's kind of fascinating. You know, what's funny about murder ballads and, and I don't know, I can't remember if it was his intention or not, but I remember with murder ballads and I don't want to say it was like, accidentally feminist because no one ever called Nick Cave a feminist at all <laughs> right but I think I love I love that though wait keep going because that's so interesting because like with murder ballads one I mean the concept of it was that like it was there are these ballads I mean all of them were basically about like men's like not basically yeah the violence towards the women who didn't you know want them or it was like revenge it was well there, there's a, a lot of it um but it was really it's really interesting just in terms of um you know like culture today there's i don't know i feel like there's a lot more i would like to go back actually and take a look at it through like today's eyes versus how i experienced mm. it the first time i heard it because i remember at the time and i was like and i've always i mean my mom raised me to be like a feminist and to look for you know those kinds of things and culture and to call things out and whatever and that's why I'm, i am the way that i am today but like um yeah i remember that was really one of the first things that i remember just like all these songs are just like killing women that don't or like violence a lot of the songs are about violence towards yeah. women. Well, it's all yeah. like crimes of passion, right? Or Definitely. Like, I hate like, that term, but mm -hmm. that's technically what it is. And I. But Henry Lee goes the other way, the duet with PJ Harvey, where mm -hmm. she ends up killing Henry and throwing him down a well. Mm -hmm. So I, I, there, there's, there, there's a quality there. Um, oh, yeah. And I, and, and I dig that. And then at the end, you know, wrapping it up with everybody singing. But uh, I first heard of Nick Cave in 94, the first time I read Get in the Van by Henry Rollins. And it's all of uh, Henry's uh, writing about his time in Black Flag uh, for like the first two, two and a half years. And then the rest are just straight journal entries. And him being a fan of Nick Cave, meeting Nick Cave, going to a party for like Australian filmmakers with Nick and there's this picture of Henry and when he had long hair and, bl and black flag and Nick Cave whose hair is wild he's pale as fuck crazy eyed I'm like who is this fucking he's a weird looking dude I mean I think we can all 
agree. <laughs> you take a like I I always find it funny, uh, the the musicians. That oh, play you guys, rock. you guys. I just I just want to tell you this because we're talking right now. The Associated Press has called the race. It just just just, just happened. Okay. I, sorry, I just. <laughs> go <What>? ahead. <laughs> I heard there's um right now outside. Um, everyone's cheering and. Oh and, my God. Okay, we can definitely, we can edit this part I'm out. So I'm so no, sorry. Le no, I mean, I'm glad leave you it, did. Leave it in, leave it in, because it's real. Oh, okay. But my question is, just hang on. Like a journalist. <laughs> hang, hang on. Did they call it the way that I want them to? Yes, <laughs> they did. Okay, good, good. I heard, I'm sorry, because I heard all these, um, people are literally cheering outside right now, and they just called it, it's uh, 284 um, electoral votes. Um, Holy cannoli. Okay, so now the struggle continues. Okay, sorry. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. I love it. I'm glad you did that. Yeah, we'll leave. Okay. Yeah, this is breaking news, everybody. I had a feeling. this in two weeks. <laughs> Make the change happen. <laughs> we're not done. So, Joey. Oh my God. Okay, no, we're not done. But... Okay. I'm so sorry, Rick. I... No, it's cool, babe. It's cool. Okay, that, I thought that was. That okay. was a real moment for the it contest. Was. <laughs> and that's interesting in my opinion yeah okay it sounds super dark but i thought you were about to tell us nick cave was dead or no, something. that would have been insane well, right? i thought you were about to be on guys i would have sorry nick anyway anyway rick back to, <laughs> back to nick cave but it was a, it was a couple years later when i was in a used record store and I found murder ballads on CD, and I'd never heard that term before. And I thought, what an in now I know they've been around for you know generations, but I'd never heard that term. Like, what an interesting idea for an album. And I got it, and I listened to it, and it's dark and it's creepy. And as someone who loves dark and creepy things, that helped. And then in '97, uh, when um, the Boatman's Call came out, uh, which chronicles his breakup with PJ Harvey. Oh. Um, I went through a bad breakup right before that album came out and right after that album came out. So that solidified uh, my love of Nick Cave, especially the sec like the second side of that album pretty much predicted the relationship I was about to enter what? and leave in about, in just two months time. But when you're in that early twenties, uh, you know, relationships can flare up and you make someone's life uh, and vice versa, a beautiful living supernova of hell. <laughs> <laughs> and from there I worked backwards through his catalog stopping it not being a huge birthday party fan but i worked my way backwards worked my way forward with each subsequent album and now when with uh, 20 years ago when i started dating my beautiful lady uh she only had murder ballads because she loved shane mcgowan from the pogues and he saw he was on uh, Death Is Not Dan. So I made her a 90-minute Nick Cave mixtape. And, and we made yep. out to Straight To You. 
and we're still together 20 years later. So, hey, uh -huh. so I, I got to thank Nick Cave in uh, so many ways, but in that one in particular. Uh, romantic. And then, and making mixtapes for, for girls was fun. Uh, getting are fun. Yeah. I've received them and I've also made them and they're fun like on both ends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I miss I miss making them. Now it's like here's a playlist. A Spotify playlist. <laughs> which also I don't want to send anybody because I don't want them to go to my account and look at what I listen to. Ridiculousness that I listen to. I know. <laughs> right? I've done it, you know, it's uh, YouTube, and I don't use YouTube for music at all because it's just not a thing I think to use for music, but um, I've made playlists on there, and it's remarkable. You can do that. That's, that does make sense. It felt more mixtape-y. Oh, me. yeah, because you can have, like, the CD, you can have the music videos or the CD covers, however, you know, whatever video you choose. Uh, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make someone a YouTube mixtape. I don't know who. I've been making soundtracks for myself, too. Oh, I love it. Yeah, the past few months, yeah. They were very, very dark a few months ago, and they've gotten, like, <laughs> dark <laughs> over the, yeah, the past, like, two to three months. Um, that makes perfect did you guys, sense. <laughs> did you guys hear the cheering and horn honk? I don't know if you could pick that. Oh, no, no, I didn't know. hear it on your end. It's definitely, I mean, my, my area is not conservative by any means but it's also not very loud so nobody's gonna go out oh. <laughs> and then um and then prospect leopards gardens in brooklyn so like right near flatbush so yeah, there's there you go. yeah they're they're out there doing cartwheels it's a huge moment <laughs> it's a huge moment i'm really excited right now just because i think that the the past few days i think the hard thing was like we just the past four years has been just such this ugh. We don't need to get into it, but like this four years has been eighty-two years long. Yeah, it's yeah. it's been. It's like I almost can't even remember what before felt like that. Before felt like this past four years, and I was like today, this morning, I was walking to get myself a coffee, and I'm like, God, you know, can we just like someone call it so we can please just celebrate and feel good, like really fucking good, all of us together at once about something, or just does this have to be just this like slow painful thing until January something I'm like I really just want to feel that feeling Res respectfully I'm like there is no time for celebration we now we're really oh. putting in the work with someone oh. well I think we deserve a moment to feel yes. good though okay yeah. can I, you two can have my moment I'm not saying let's celebrate mm -hmm. for it, months for I'm fun. saying no. we're yeah. in the middle of an awful awful year and we deserve a moment to feel okay and to feel positive and then think, all right, let's get to it. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm deep in the awful moments. That's why I love Nick Cave. <laughs> so anybody here get a chance to see Nick Cave live before? No. Anybody? No? Mm -mm. Just me? Just you. All right. It, it's a hell of, with different iterations of the Bad Seeds uh, song before. Um, Nick Harvey and Blixa left the band. One of those artists. If they're coming to New York, I'm going to see them. Uh, strangely enough, the first time I saw him was sort of solo. Mm. Uh, without the bad seeds. He, it was just uh, him uh, on a piano. Warren Ellis on... Uh, it, it was actually him in the Dirty Three uh, accompanying him. Uh, just a very intimate shows uh and then you know a year later at the beacon theater uh 
seeing him, you know, pack the house a couple of nights with the full band. And I, I've I've seen him grow at least in New York and America mm -hmm. from going to playing uh, smaller theaters little by little, like the Beacon every time a new album came out to the last time I saw him fucking playing the Barclays. I'm like, Whoa. I mean, I know there are, you know, old New York goths, you know, <laughs> that 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 dig them but it's like clearly there's you, you get to a point where it's like it's, it, when the uh, first bad seeds album came out uh 84 at least and now uh nearly 40 years later he's got that career you see the audience of people of all different ages he means something different to everybody just like all right you're done good because <laughs> he's not getting radio airplay in America. Mm. He's not getting uh, the MTV don't show videos here anymore. So it's clearly just hard work and he is a musician for people that love music. Yes. Yeah, yeah, like what do they say like the musician musician or whatever, which is obnoxious and gross, but yeah. or as Prince used to say real music for real music lovers. <laughs> and I I, I'm, I agree with that, but I'm also, I'm also just one of those people that doesn't want to discount something as not music just because it doesn't sound the way people think it should sound or it's not using the instruments we think it should. I was that way in high school and a mm -hmm. little bit of college. And that's definitely when I, you know, that was when I got into Nick Cave as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I would just immediately shut out genres thinking you know oh that's not real music that's you know that's just pop you know crap that people want to dance to and it's just such an obnoxious thing mm -hmm. i i agree with uh i i like that you called him a musician's musician i think that's a really good way to put it i just i i don't want to get into the fold or the narrative of you know nick cave is real music and i agree no. yeah that's that's my only thing i just I, yeah and you know i will say too i as well um was definitely a, a bit of a snob oh you and i would have been best friends oh, probably. Like, oh, I'm sure. on everything <laughs> like, ugh, gross yeah it would, i and i think yeah over the years i've learned to number one this is a big one appreciate things for what they are whether that's like a britney spears album to a whatever the fuck like um the other thing is that i think nick cave him being an artist there's some like i would say this like there's some not in a pop way not in a pop music way but there's definitely sort of like the, the 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 way the songs are written and constructed there's a hook and there's something that just like is satisfying to most people's brains like his music i think sort of for me, it's like an emotional response. I think that's something that's relatable that I think so many people can identify, you know, like yeah. Grindr Man, one or two, I think those two. And also I, I didn't until this past couple of weeks, for, I didn't realize that there was like, the Grindr Man 2 had like, was remixed. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting and actually kind of enjoyable. Um, I've not listened to it, but I'm very angry. I didn't get uh, <laughs> Grinder Man 2 on vinyl. I wasn't collecting vinyl yet. Yeah. So I'm just waiting around yeah, for a you'll reissue. You'll find it somewhere. It'll come out. It'll be a reissue somewhere. Well, maybe even at a record store, maybe somebody sold it, you know. 
it's um one of the you know it's funny yeah his and i think maybe chelsea like we were saying to you about the assassination of jesse james by blah 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 blah. by that guy by that guy the longest by by casey affleck by casey affleck that's what we should call it yes i think um yeah his ability because it's like there's an emotional response he also just creates such like a mood and an environment like like i said i felt like my soundtrack the past like week or so amidst all of this like election just everything kind of coming to i has it's been my soundtrack grinder man one and two have been my soundtrack in a really strange way um just because they're so intense but um i think back like when i first heard grinder man one just probably like a little after it came out the same thing with well, I was one is just Render Man. And then two, I didn't, I was not aware at the time of how they created um, those albums. Um, and so that was interesting to me. That was something kind of, I'd say like in the past couple of weeks, like I said, I turned this into some pro- distracting project. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> how the, the way they recorded the albums really was like, he just had some lyrics and ideas and they kind of got together and just started, you know, playing I mean, yeah, just just jamming of sorts and seeing what was oh, done. I didn't know that. Yeah, and there's a, they recorded, and I found it. I'll send it to you later. Um, they also had start, you know, because like everyone starts podcasts, um, but very few actually uh, go beyond five episodes. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, um, it was like sixty five percent of podcasts don't make more than five episodes. Um, my podcaster cousin gave me that stat, but. Um, they released five episodes uh, for after recording the first Grinder Man album of their studio or just like their sessions of recording each of the several of the songs that made it onto the album, but kind of like in the raw. And then the studio version was sort of like what they went back and, you know, kind of used and, and developed and stuff. So that was kind of interesting to listen to, to listen to those in tandem, because I didn't know about that uh, the first yeah. time. When Grinder Man first came out, and it's like, okay, it's Nick, it's Warren, it's mm-hmm. uh, Jim on drums, whereas normally he's a percussionist. Uh, I'm forgetting who's playing bass. But to me, it just sounded like Blixa left the band and we miss him. So let's have snarling guitars uh, as kind of a way to uh, get him back in the fold. That's about first listening. Uh, later on, you find out, like, no, Blix, they're they're all still... There, there, there's no real falling out, but Blix admitted he couldn't be in so many bands and still have time for a marriage and a family. So it's like something has to go. And with that revolving uh, line or ch- ever changing lineup of the bad seeds, you know, Nick's always there. And it, it seemed like Mick Harvey, uh, his boyhood friend from every band prior, was there for so long until he wasn't until it was time to go and still kind of handle the business and the reissues and the remastering of the bad seeds but i think when nick you know got clean and really gelled with warren ellis it's like uh not 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 to toot my own horn a little bit it's like all the improv stuff i did before chelsea and then all the stuff afterwards it's like all right you you find your artistic soulmate and it's like uh, now let's just fucking aw. go elsewhere with that and it, it could be film scores and yes even songs like um 
and I know you two haven't seen them live, but if you listen to the album version of Jubilee Street on Push the Sky Away, and then hear them play it live, particularly on the EP of, uh, I think it's called Dis Distant Sky in Melbourne. That song takes on entirely mm. new life. It becomes big rock anthem that towards the end of like, how the fuck did that happen? And it's just playing it live night after night after night. And now it kicks into something that will tear off the top half of your body and <laughs> you'll be glad that it did. I can love that. You know, I love, well, two things. One, finding, yeah, like your sort of like creative artistic soulmate. I just, I want to, I want to just, yeah, I love that. That That's such a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, because yeah, you just feel like you can do so much and like really fully like articulate yourself creatively, which is such a lovely thing, like with another person. Um, that's, yeah, that's lovely. I love that. And yeah, then easy. let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, also I guess it's sort of in the same, same vein is, um, I love watching or seeing musicians, like, well, I love live music, first of all, and that's been one of the hardest things. Uh, there are a few, you know, over the past few months, it's just not, I mean, I usually see at least like one, when yeah. I say concert, like one show yeah. a week or every couple of weeks, you know, and. Yeah, that must've been such a stark difference for you, like having to go from going to once or so a week and then nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been really hard. And I think that's been, made it hard too, because I love the, pro and you know, well, New York is a very different kind of music market, but there are a lot of musicians that I like who tour with bands, but then they live here locally. So rather than like local New York music, there's just more of like, I can enjoy a lot of the folks that I like, like Joe Russo, one of my favorite drummers ever. Um, but I love seeing, watching musicians sort of that are known for being in their, you know, the bands they were in playing solo and just because it's just, you can see just sort of, it's more, more of them and sort of their own, like their own vision, but you also like get a sense of their artistic contribution to the band that they were in. Like, you know, Bauhaus and all the member, that's just what it made me think of, of like Bauhaus and all the members, how they sort of had their own like careers after, um, really, you know, watch, watching, seeing them live in concert and stuff too, kind of really let me know sort of what their, what they brought to, to that band and that kind of thing, which is interesting because Nick Cave, like, you know, with, you know, from the birthday party all the way to like doing Grinder Man and then his own stuff and then the film scoring, you just, when you're able to like go back and look at all of it and kind of like even his own solo stuff and sort of see what he brings to all of that. I'm not sure what my point is right now with that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Speaking of solo, did you yeah. take advantage and watch uh, the live uh, film that he he did during the lockdown idiot prayer where it's just him in a piano, no. like apparently in a hangar someplace. And there were like virtual tickets. You can only watch it online. It's going to be released as an album later this month. So mm -hmm. I, I, I bet on that. I'm like, I don't need the, the visual. I just want to hear it. Right. And a lot of people want it. So did you check that out? No, I haven't. What was it again? Cause it, you first. it's called idiot prayer idiot prayer yeah and it's just him doing songs throughout his career um i'm very curious to hear him do palaces of montezuma just with a piano 
because uh-huh. that that is my favorite grinder man song because in the in the midst of all that raucous clanging and banging there's a very beautiful bad seeds-esque love song in all of that noise mm-hmm. with the hand clapping and the harmonies and his weird lyrics of like i want to give all this to you if you'll just keep me warm that was oh, man it was so um so in, it's so intense um and so uh yeah there's an under yeah it's so passionate mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um well i i i agree with uh him in his style of writing and that it's it's only slightly different than Johnny Cash and that Johnny Flash said it cleaner. But Cave says like, the only thing to write songs about are, 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 are you know, God, murder, and pussy. Oh yeah, <laughs> where, and I think he where, covered three of those. Yeah, yeah whereas Cash is like put out a box set called Love, God, Murder. So, you know, Cash, Cash was just a little bit classier in his phrasing of it. Uh, both are still accurate. And I think it goes to sort of the like the reason why Nick Cave as an artist is so related just because of like the emotional response that he elicits is just so like deep and like deep and dark and passionate but just um I don't know yeah it felt like I mean he was in the throes of like frustration like with Grinder Man 1 it was definitely like it felt like anger frustration like like not like being able to like wanting something and not being able to do what the whatever it is he needed to do to be able to get something that he wanted in a sense i guess from his you know relationship or whatever was going on i don't know we can always um interpret whatever we want but it sort of had that sort of feeling which is it's hard to put into words sometimes which is why i like um and i forgot how much i liked that album especially grinder man too i'm really like those two in particular i'm super like i've been listening to them on repeat like the past week seriously yeah. I believe it. I'm, would would you say the that's one of your favorites of his album of his catalog one of yes. your favorite albums of his catalog if i had to pick one yeah like overall i would say probably grinder man two um yeah because a lot of i mean like the birthday party to me that's so it's good and I think of that style, like that post-punk sort of style, I, I'd say like, it was very much of that era, but it was also very, very good and had a lot of interesting things going on, you know? Um, but yeah, Grinder Man too, I would say is definitely. I got a hard time picking an all-time favorite because sometimes those, alb- those albums just hit at specific times yes. of my life yes but like i said the boatman's call going through bad breakups uh and no more shall we part coming out right before the world trade center attacks and that sad violin of warren ellis has been my, the favorite sound in my life ever since to even uh five years ago when my grandmother died and distant sky came out followed up by ghost team and those are two albums dealing with grief so songs like distant distant sky and ghost team speaks just fucking wreck me like, mm-hmm. I, like i'm 
I'm here in Distant Sky in the Barclays Center, tears streaming down my fucking face because I am an emotional wreck. But that that's cathartic and it feels good to just get it out. It's okay. No one's judging me because, you know, unlike many of the people there, I'm not wearing mascara that's running. <laughs> and if I was, who'd give a fuck? That's like, uh, a, oh, oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna, I, um, that's how I felt. Have you ever seen Peter Murphy um, in concert? No, I have not. And I wouldn't say, like, I'm a huge Peter Murphy fan, but, like, I saw him when I was in Florida probably twice. And uh, I don't know. It's so funny because I, I went with a couple friends of mine who really wanted, you know, we did the drive from Tampa to Orlando, which is terrible because everyone always wants to come back the same night and it's never a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and it's terrible. <laughs> it's the worst drive home ever. Um, that was when we were younger before we could afford to get hotels. So anyway um it was so it was so interesting just because yeah sometimes things just sort of hit you at the right moment and peter murphy on his own and he was also going through this like and he always is i mean he's really dark but yeah he it was just like him piano and just very like into i cried it was it was insane yeah just it felt there was just yeah things going on at the time it was just a nice like catharsis um and it's wonderful when that can happen because not everything i don't know things are there when you need them one thing I'm curious about, um, and this is going to sound like I'm calling you both out, but I'm not. What would this show be if you didn't? Go ahead. That's true. That is true. Um, I feel like I've already called you out a couple of times though, Rick, but I, why not one more? <laughs> not um, always on microphone either. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So since he he is an artist in multiple mediums and and novel writing um, is one of them. Uh, why have uh, neither of you or yeah, why have neither of you read his books? Like, is it just a time thing or is it a and this isn't me saying you know what, I'm going to hang up because you guys aren't true Nick Cave fans. <laughs> like this, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just curious if was his music and his scores and, you know, was that enough? Do you feel like you're, you're really in a good place with um, how much you enjoy Nick Cave's music and you're just not incredibly interested in his other writing? Um, which is fine. I mean, there's a lot of people that I think we're all fans of that that doesn't mean you're going to watch every single movie they're in or every show or just because they come out with a book or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious why neither of you have explored them. And it could just be like, I didn't know he wrote books. Like, I mean, it could be a really easy uh, answer, but I'm curious. Um. I have and the ass saw the angel on my bookshelf and it's been there oh. for a very long time and I haven't gotten around to it. And I think if I were to think, why haven't I gotten around to it? Uh, Cave's a wordsmith. He uses language in a way that's very powerful, uh, sometimes way beyond my grasp. And that was when he was on heroin. So <laughs> as far as his written non-sung uh, words, I've kind of stuck to uh, the short dispatches from the red hand files where he uh, 
puts out a newsletter every week where fans will ask him a question and he'll deal with it. Uh, sometimes he, he's, he, he, he breaks his per, you know, perceived persona and he's actually quite humorous. Like, you know, uh, if there were, someone once asked him, if there was an asteroid coming to earth, what would you do? And it's like, I would freak the fuck out. <laughs> and that's the short version. He, he's written some very humorous shit. Um, along with the fact of uh, Back to the Idiot Prayer, he was talking about how much he loved that piano. Uh, he'd never played an instrument that was better. And he really wished that the, the makers of that, that company would just give him this very, very expensive piano for free. And even like people in the, the business of the bad seats are like, Oh, you can't just buy your own fucking piano. And he's had to tell his fans, stop harassing them to give me a free piano. <laughs> I'm just, I guess when you're, when you're known as like a, a, an arbiter of doom and gloom, it's hard to convince people that you're being funny. So I wouldn't feel right purchasing uh, the sad death of Bunny Monroe to read until after I eventually get it around to finish, to actually reading and completing in the end. Are they actually, are they novels or are they just They're like, novels. They are novels? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but Shari, what about you? I haven't read any of his stuff and honestly, I just, um, well, two reasons. One, I... It's so funny. I, I think it goes back to like Rick, what you just said, you know, sometimes like things are there when you're, is this what we just said, when you're ready for it, like, you know, it's there, but not quite. I don't know. I, um, it's not that I'm not interested, just like not yet. And I think the stuff that I read, the things that I read or consume visually, you know, um, sort of I don't know for me like or just such a very different experience like just like viscerally like intellectually and that kind of stuff that like I don't know yeah I just I guess like I haven't been interested yet I don't know because there's so much fair. to read I mean there's, <laughs> yeah. there's so much to read and I yeah I think that's fair I was just curious because I was like that's the one medium that you know just by coincidence neither of you you know have explored um and, and I'm yeah, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I guess, I don't know. It's funny. It happens like, like David Byrne, for example, who I love. Mm -hmm. um, I've read some, I mean, I've read a few things that he has written. He's written essays and that kind of thing. Um, probably because there are a lot of the stuff that David Byrne writes about is a lot. It, I don't know. It seems so unrelated to some of the music or he's just, yeah, it's more intellectual or like, you know, why cities should be bicycle friendly and you know, other, <laughs> other nonsense. I don't know. It's just very, very different. Um, he's probably one of the only musicians who's writing that I've read. And it but, can be intimidating sometimes. Like if your use, if your verbiage can be so uh, intimidating in just a song. Yeah. Like, to, to sit down and read a novel can it can feel like a daunting task that maybe I'm not up to quite yet. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I could I could see being like, yeah, man, this is gonna either be really heavy or really, you know. Yeah, I see it. Lyric wise, is there anybody 
that I, I can't think of anyone who writes in English that that uses so many words uh, that you don't normally hear in in rock music, you know. Like, vocabulary. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love Metallica, but there's a whole lot of yeah in that. <laughs> um, One syllable. Whereas you know, Cave will just not even just tell us, just put you there in and paint a picture with his words, like a song and uh, uh, darker with the day, walking through a crowd into a church and looking for answers. It's like, I could see what a music video would be in my head mm -hmm. more than, you know, like just some buddy putting words in the right melody beat and rhyme and then on to the next verse yeah uh, yeah it's you know it's interesting i think it's been a reluctance for me i would say because i don't know maybe this is kind of what you were saying rick um when i listen to anything he's done it's like i can in my mind imagine what it looks like and i can feel it it feels like pretty visceral mm -hmm. and he kind of paints such a picture with the music and then the layer of the lyrics. I almost feel like I don't need to read what he's really, his, his not, I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious. I think he just released something um, like drawings or something like that. Is that, I was, yeah, I was looking at, at that, but um, like, I'd, I'd be curious, like visually, like as an artist, looking at some of that. And I think he's, he's said for like the past couple albums, a lot of the lyrics have been somewhat improvisational. In yeah. The moment. Yeah. And, that, and that's why, like, the first time I heard Push the Sky Away, I'm like, this isn't the usual structure I was used to of, like, you know, verse, chorus, verse. Right. From the entire career. And I wasn't ready until, you know, a couple years later. It's like, okay, now it all makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, lyrically, it's sort of, I don't want to say, I think it's transcended, like, lyrics and meaning. Yeah, you can kind of, like, a lot of it has to do, it seems like, with how he was feeling and what he was creating in the moment, you know, with him, like, with his band, especially, like, in Grinder Man. But, um, but how he was feeling then and less intentional about, like, yeah, writing, like, the traditional song structure to communicate a specific idea as much as, like, it's more of a feeling. Um, I don't know. I guess, like, I assumed, honestly, that, like, reading his stuff would sort of feel like reading, I don't know, that it would be a little self-indulgent, and, like, this sounds judgmental, but it's not. <laughs> like, no, sort of I would have assumed kind of the same, okay. I, to be yeah. honest. Uh, I, I assume, and that's not even just special to him. That's a lot of, mm -hmm. you know, musicians or actors or anything when it comes to them wanting to write a, a different kind of narrative and whether it be a novel or um well yeah really just you know with novels or if they decide to do a book of po poetry and stuff like that I usually think it's going to be pretty self-indulgent mm -hmm. um and my interest is just not completely there um <laughs> So I get that. I feel like with Nick Cave, especially, I, I would have that judgment at first of, oh no, <laughs> like, I feel like this is not serving terribly much of a purpose, but that is me making a very like quick judgment. So please yeah. nobody 
get mad at me. I don't know if it's that's the seventeen-year-old music snob in me. And I'm kind of like, mm, that seems self-indulgent. I don't know. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> if he wrote his own uh, memoir, like Mark Lanigan did, I'd be right there because that motherfucker yeah. has lived a life. I'd be into that shit ton of stuff. I yeah, I'm into <laughs> memoirs. I I do love reading a good memoir. Um, Tori Spelling's storytelling is a really? memoir. It actually is. I'll talk to you about it separately because Rick is not going to be interested, but it's wonderful. I, wait, I'll, I'm going to say one thing. Yeah, please. I was very scared to see or to confront the wife of the husband that Tori was sleeping with. So Tori was sleeping with somebody else's husband. Right. And, um, it, and it's the woman, or sorry, it's the man that uh, Tori's married to now and had like nine kids. They have with. a lot of kids. Yeah, they have too many kids. Too many. Um, but she was so scared that by impulse, before she left the house to go meet her, she put a kitchen knife in her purse. What? That's crazy. And it was there the entire time. And apparently the meeting went super well. And I was like, well, the fact that you just wrote in your book that you took a kitchen knife with you that woman probably isn't going to like you again. She's going to be like, this woman brought a kitchen knife to my house. Okay, that's nuts. Anyway, read the memoir because it's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. And like, uh, that's crazy. So crazy. She wrote it like, and she wrote it as like, oh my God, quirky, right? I'm like, no. <laughs> oh my God, I was just like so worried. I put a kitchen, kitchen knife in my, my Anyway, I, I digress, but I do love a good memoir. It's more surprising to me to have uh, talk of Tori Spelling's <laughs> memoir on this During show the Nick Cave than to get up. election results as we were recording. <laughs> we were, you know, we're improvising. Hey, anything fucking goes on anything this show goes. for the most part. I may have a kitchen knife, you know? I mean, I do. Well, your kitchen is near where you <laughs> <Yeah>. are recording, <laughs> so... If you don't have one within arm's reach, you could get one very like... quickly. And and even though I know you can't stab me virtually, I am a little intimidated. So let's land this fucking plane. Yes. <laughs> I love I I, I want to know about I love memoirs. And yes, I would read a Nick Cave memoir. And just to your point, Chelsea, like one of the reasons I do love memoirs, it is ridiculous as some of them may be, because I love like what people decide is important of their own story and like what they think they want to share. I, I just, it's just fascinating to me, like quirky knife in the, in the purse. I <laughs> it's so weird. Oh, I just remember reading it thinking, where's this going to, did she kill her? I was just like, yeah. Was writing this from jail? <laughs> that whole thing. Like, did she think about how that would go? Oh my God. That's great. Well, yeah. Or like, yeah. Anything Lena Dunham has written. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Like it's just, I, the things that celebrities suddenly think is okay to admit to. That they're in such a bubble of sorts that they're like, yeah, just like a quirky, weird thing. I'm going to mention. God. All right, Rick, I'll let you, I'll let you land the plane. Oh, oh we're landing the plane. We're landing the plane. We just had a little bit of turbulence, which was fun. Yeah, that's okay. I wasn't <laughs> expecting Lena Dun Dunham references either. But that, that, like, like I said, I recommend Mark Lanigan's uh, memoir yeah. that came out recently because uh, he is very similar and does look up to Nick Cave a lot. But in reading it, I just spent 
and and it stops around 1995 when Lane Staley died. And I'm like, no. But just reading that portion, it's like, how are you not dead? <laughs> how are you alive? You've had nearly all of the VD. Almost all of it. It amazes me the the people that are still that are still kicking and thriving that have had every single drug and then disease from the drug and the needle sharing and everything, and they're just like now they're you know sober and it's great. But there's just this part of me that's like I feel like I'd be that person where if I tried you know, in that era, you know, special K and all that stuff, I'd be the one that dies in the bathroom. Like there's just, I would not be the one that will have the story to tell in 30 years about, oh my God, that's crazy, right? Like, it's like, you have, like, it's like there are two stories, right? You have like the Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, sort of Kurt Cobain story. Mm -hmm. Like they try to do all that and it's, they can't. And then, yeah. And then you have the like elder statesmen because most of them are men, um, you know, rock musician, whatever dude who just did everything and they're fucking still around somehow. They have the whole like got sober and figured life out at sixty five and had a baby yeah. <laughs> story. Like, had a baby at seventy eight. So exactly. I will say this about Dave. Uh, did you see um, 10,000 Days on Earth? No. I think it's on Tubi streaming for free. And it's kind of a phony documentary of him chronicling his 10,000th day on Earth and where he's going oh. through that. And it, it, it is very touching that at the end of this, this, this stage day, uh, he's there with his two sons, one unfortunately now deceased after a... Uh, falling off a cliff at a beach, just being a dad, eating pizza, and watching Scarface with his boys, yeah. and it's like, well, that's that's the meaning of life. Sounds like he, a good one. Rick yeah. says, uh, you know, having watched Scarface with his old man when he still walked the earth. Yeah. So, uh, where can people find you if they want to find you, Sheree? Anything you want to plug? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. That's, you know, <laughs> where I live. Um, yeah, it's uh, at, like Instagram at uh, Shari Hazlett and same thing at, uh, on Facebook. Um, and, you know, I have a few things I'm, you know, working on. Um, I have a little improv ensemble. We've been doing stuff online weekly called Hemlock. Yeah, it's, it's uh, six, six ladies. And um, yeah, we formed after, after the quarantine started. We all knew each other from Magnet before. And, and, uh, and I'm yeah. sorry, I talked over you when you said the name. What's the name? Hemlock. Hemlock. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and we're on Instagram and YouTube. We have all the all the stuff going, thanks to to Aaron Resnick, who's our social media pro. And um, and all wonderful ladies. And I'm very, very fortunate to to know all those ladies. We've been a really been a good thing to have during this, during this time. And then, um, yeah. And then, um, another thing I'm working on with my friend, uh, Stacy at Curious Comedy in Portland is, a, it's like a, I don't want to call it a sketch show. It's like a comedy variety show, but we're actually, you know, we work with, um, you know, newer sketch writers, people who've been stand-ups or, um, you know, more like, uh, comedy writers or just improvisers who are now writing sketch. 
so a lot of them, this is the first time they've ever written sketch before. And so they're going through just like a sketch class there and then they join the writing team. And uh, we've put up two shows already and we have another like special episode coming up. It's called Rewired. Um, and, uh, and that's at, I'm trying to think where to find that. That's it. I mean, at, at Curious Comedy Theaters on Facebook and um, Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff and Rewired um, will announce Every time our next episode is gonna be, um, it's based on a theme and then we all write stuff for the theme. So the next one is holidays nice. and that's in September. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, so thank you. Yeah, and, and you, I just wanna tell you guys, too, I don't know if you know this, maybe you do, cause maybe it was the same for you, but the last show I did was <laughs> was with you all at um, in early March. Yep. Yeah. Our last Spooky Doings final girl show, and then I got sick the weekend after, and everything shut down. It was that the one where they didn't have chairs. Remember, we were sitting. There were no chairs. There were no chairs. Yeah, and, and we're I, like, ugh, stupid triple crown. Ugh, next month we'll tell them <laughs> whatever. I know. I made a stink about it, and um, yeah, it was so funny. Uh, but that was a really fun, energetic show. I think that just added to you know the energy just guys we're all embracing we worked that we, we have went. no chairs <laughs> go into the crowd get fucking wacky yeah it's weird to to miss that stank ass basement i know oh and we'll i don't know we'll get back there one day we will we will yes kelsey where can the people find you if they want to find you uh they can with just... your knives and your and, and your other yes of stabbiness there's a chance I will have a kitchen knife with me now at all times, <laughs> just because I'm quirky. Um, uh, people can find me on Instagram and Twitter, just under Chelsea Bennington, um, and you can, you know, see me, the kitties, the kitties. <laughs> like that's it, just me and the cats. Ah. <laughs> Cool. You can check out Spooky Doings Improv on Facebook. One day we'll do another show, but for now it's just podcast information. There's a Spooky Doings on Instagram. And like uh, Shari said, you'll see me posting whatever record I'm listening to that day. I just made some Bandcamp purchases yesterday because it's important to support artists on Bandcamp Friday and get more records and so they get the money. Yes. So, all right, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Go celebrate uh, the country's hard stop uh, towards fascism and slow turn towards progression and hopefully making it a better goddamn America. We can celebrate today and fight, keep fighting tomorrow, is what I say. Yeah. Celebrate that we can. Right. Oh my gosh, yeah, you're right. Celebrate that we can actually, you know, continue to... <laughs> tell people that yeah. we're in office and the salaries we pay what we expect from them and that it's okay we don't have to live in fear of that and that's fucking amazing and that's what i'm celebrating right now and Not it's so great that we all got to experience it together <laughs> yeah, thank you i'm glad i wasn't just like sitting here in my apartment stressing out like oh okay yeah, like thank you. Yeah. No, thank you thank you for, for joining with us yeah. uh love you and stay good stay healthy stay spooky Till next time, everybody. <laughs>